Welcome back to Ashley Live, a talk show highlighting influential people across various industries from business to politics to journalism and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Ashley Lynn Priori, a leadership strategist, entrepreneur, and founder of the nationally recognized nonprofit Queen's Gambit. We use chess to teach you strategic leadership skills and in turn, give them the tools they need to change the world. As always, to ask a question, request a guest, or just say hi, tweet me at Ashley Lynn Priori and use the hashtag Ashley Live. You can find our podcasts on Spotify and Apple. We are so lucky to have Diana Knapp with us. Um, she is coming here today to speak about her two books. She has Girls Who Green the World, that is came out on April 5th, just in time for Earth Day, and also Girls Who Run the World, which was published in 2019 and was endorsed by Madeline Albright. She has been featured in numerous publications, and she's written for numerous publications too, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the San Francisco Magazine, Ellie, Marine Claire, all sorts of amazing uh, outlets. So we're so excited to have her here today to chat about her journey in journalism. So thank you so much for, for joining us. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for doing it. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and I'm really impressed by you, Ashley. You're quite an amazing young woman. Oh, thank you so mm. much. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to chat with you because I love journalism and, and writing and so many young women have submitted questions because they are interested in a, in a similar path, but mm -hmm. For starters, I just love to hear a bit about you. So how did you get into writing? How'd you get into this path? So it's kind of a long roundabout story. And I guess like the main message is that I, I did not um, follow any kind of conventional path into journalism. And I think if I were to do it all over again, perhaps I would try to work on my college paper and get internships in the summer and that kind of thing. Because I do think getting a little bit of training um, and legitimacy early on is very helpful, but it doesn't mean you can't do it without that. So I, I've always been kind of strong on language arts side of the ledger as opposed to math and science and writing has always come kind of easily to me. I definitely wasn't like a little girl who wrote stories all the time and wanted to be an author. And I, I was one of those people who had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I came, I was an English major at university of Michigan. I came home to Washington, DC which was kind of the expected thing. It was like where my family was from and everyone that in my family had worked in sort of in and around politics and policy and nonprofit. And so I first went to work on the Hill and for a Senator from Michigan. And then I worked at a place called the Children's Defense Fund, which was doing advocacy for children in poverty. But I always had communications roles in those places. And when I got to be about 24 and I was just feeling really stuck, um, I made what I consider like the best decision of my life, which is to move all by myself out to California. And it was like a real leap of faith and just sort of felt I need to like invent myself in a new place and really figure out like what I care about doing and um, 
find myself, I guess, in sort of a cheesy way. That's the truth, though. And I ended up getting hired in a startup biotech company as their head of communications. And so I was doing writing press releases and their annual report and some speeches and that kind of thing. And it was a really exciting place to be like right at the start of the human genome being sequenced and like the whole genetics revolution was happening around me. And it was my first interaction with sort of entrepreneurship and how exciting it can be when people have ideas that are cutting edge and they're trying to make them happen despite everyone telling them they're impossible. And so that led me after a couple of years of that, I was so in and around all this entrepreneurship that I ended up going to business school at Stanford. And but when I got out, I I still felt like what I loved doing was storytelling. And so I had like a short stint working in an ad agency. And that was a lot of storytelling, like to sell goods and products, which I really didn't like. And I, but I was thinking to myself, like, I like this gathering um, the research and thinking about kind of culture and insights about things and people. But I want to tell those stories like just for the sake of telling stories that matter. So I started my freelancing career completely from the bottom. I had no special ins. I I mean, it was good to have this degree from like a well-known university that you know, kind of open the door a little bit, having that MBA, even though it has nothing to do with writing. Um, but I like I would pitch San Francisco magazine. They had this issue called the best of the bay. And it was like, you know, 500 little one paragraph, you know, the best photo store, the best ice cream parlor, the best person to sew your jeans, whatever. And I would go out and find these things. And I literally would spend like an entire day writing like one paragraph, like, and I would pitch it to the magazine and I finally got in print. And then I pitched um, the San Francisco Chronicle, like a couple of lifestyle stories um, about like, you know, my friends built a yurt in their backyard and I went to like a yurt raising party. So it was always things that were happening to like friends of mine or like, um, I started noticing like, um, this technology happening at Stanford for women to freeze their eggs. And it was really like the very beginning of anyone ever talking about that as something that women might do and how to kind of, you know, disconnect from your biological clock and be able to, you know, pursue a career without that constraint. And the best advice that I ever got and that really like launched my career as a freelancer is my boyfriend at the time, now my husband. I was, I had these couple of contacts that I had found, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend knew someone who worked at Health Magazine. So I would like send these emails to this editor and I would be saying, you know, you know, I would love some advice. Like, you know, I'm thinking about pitching this story. You know, what do you think of this pitch? Or, you know, tell me, you know, how you would recommend that I get in touch with so-and-so. And then if she didn't get back to me really fast, I would get like totally distraught. Like my career hinged on this person getting back to me, you know, because I had no contacts. And so my husband said, okay, this is the piece of advice I have for you. 
because the dynamic in that relationship is like you feeling bad all the time about asking her for advice, why don't you approach her with a proposal, which is like, hey, I'm trying to break into freelance. Would you be a coach for me? And I will pay you $75 an hour for you to like meet with me once a week. We'll have a coffee and I'll come down by your office. And then hopefully you can give me some insights and I can get started. And she was like, great, I'd love to do that. And so it totally changed the dynamic because now she was sort of invested in me and wanting to help me. Um, Not because she was getting money, I think, but because it was like, I was putting her in this position of like, I, I'm seeking your advice as like a coach. And so I really recommend that. And it turned out that she ended up moving to San Francisco Magazine, becoming their executive editor. She took that first story about egg freezing. And that was the first feature I ever did. And and then she even like went further and she she sent that feature to like some editors at Elle and Oprah magazine. And she was like, you know, this is a young new writer and like she's really on it. And so then one of them gave me an assignment and that was how I got my start. And I will say freelancing is in the current environment is really, really hard in terms of just being able to make enough money to support yourself. Um Given what's happening with so many publications going online, the pay is just so much less. Um, And I would say like the same way some people would like invest in getting a degree, you might have to say like, I'm going to take the next year and I'm going to invest in launching my freelance career. So I'm going to accept that like I might do some things for like very little pay, but I'm building my clips and my kind of credibility and resume. And the other piece of advice I give is just like everything, it's a business of personal connections. And so when you, you have to develop relationships with these people who you write for. And so any opportunity you have to kind of meet someone in person and have a coffee rather than doing everything over email, like maybe ask if you can meet and brainstorm story ideas. And then as soon as someone would give you an assignment and you'd write something for them, then you have to come right back to them with another idea. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to take it, but it's like all about this sort of like, let's develop a rapport because it's extremely hard to just lob out an idea and expect that you're nailing it with this publication of like what they need at that particular time. And you don't know like what they've done in the past on that topic, or if like maybe they've discussed doing that, but they don't want to do it for this reason or, and you don't, you don't see any of that. So all you see is like the no, and it's crushing. So it's much easier if you're developing a story idea in conversation with somebody working at a publication so that there's like a bit more of a back and forth and you can get some of that insight from them. Like, well, we're really changing our mind and we want to be doing, you know, shorter pieces that are, you know, more personality driven, you know, or profiles, you know, whatever. And then you can come up with ideas like that because otherwise you're never going to be able to just guess. So that's a long winded answer of how I got started. And then to be honest, like I really got so tired of just pitching all the time. And so like 
every single piece of work you're going to do, you need to sell. Um, and that was what appealed to me about doing these books. So I've done two books. The first I did in 2019, Girls Who Run the World. And that was a collection of profiles of female entrepreneurs in all different industries. Um, and then followed up by my current book that came out in April, which is Girls Who Green the World. And so that's the same thing, although they're not all entrepreneurs. Some are artists and activists and citizen scientists and um, some working in big companies, but they're all focused on sustainability in, in all different ways. And those books grew out of my view that there's just way too little spotlighting of women, what women are doing, um, women in positions of real innovation and being inventors and being incredibly creative and on the cutting edge of so many different fields. It feels like they don't get the funding from venture capitalists. They don't get spotlighted in the media. They're not on the op-ed pages. It's, you know, the data is actually like terrible. And so I have three kids of my own, two daughters. And when my younger daughter was 12, I mean, she is such a powerful young being. And I always say like, she popped out of me with her hands on her hips, like sort of, mm -hmm. you know, issuing orders and ready to run the world. But you have to look at someone like that today and wonder like, what's going to happen to a young person like this? Because it's still, despite all the advances that we've made, when I graduated from business school in 1996, there was zero women in the Fortune 500, which is the 500 biggest companies in America in, you know, heading those companies. Today, it's now 20, I'm about to have my 25th reunion this summer, 25 years later, and now there's 24 women in the Fortune 500. So it's just you know, not to say that the Fortune 500 is any like measure of anything particularly important, you know, because I would say like maybe women don't go towards those positions quite as much because they're so conventional and maybe going through those systems is harder than trying to like, you know, come at things a little bit more independently and entrepreneurially. But in any case, if you look at data all over the place from STEM, and I know you've looked at it for chess and, you know, it's just is still really, really far too few. And I think young women, they, it's, I always love this adage, you can't be what you can't see. And so we need to just show that there are women out there doing like the most creative, amazing things. And that will help young people um, picture themselves doing that someday. Absolutely. I love it. I love what you said about, um, you know, when you send an email to someone, especially if it's a cold email and you're asking either for, you know, um, feedback or just, you know, briefly connect. Um, there is this sense of like, if they don't respond, <laughs> like, like you said, you feel like your career's over. And I've yeah. noticed that a lot when a lot of my colleagues are, you know, they're applying for jobs or looking into the political space and they reach out to someone who's in a position of power. And they're like, if I don't hear from this person, I don't have anything else that there's nothing else I can do, but it's really about mm -hmm. framing that conversation and your, and really your pitch to them, because mm -hmm. if you're reading an email, it could be, 
you know, just the slightest change in, in a sentence can really change and have a big impact on how that person's reading it. One of the um, pieces of advice that came from, I can't remember which entrepreneur it was in my first book. Oh, I think it was um, Katya Beauchamp, and she is the founder of something called Birchbox, which was one of those subscription boxes where you got like samples of cosmetics and then you could tr try a bunch of stuff. And then if you wanted to order the full size, but so that in order to get into that business that required her to approach all these large cosmetic companies and ask them if they would partner with her and provide the samples. And it was like quite experimental. And at that time, like the subscription box was like a new idea and it hadn't really taken off yet. And so she said, I was always in this position of asking for something. And the best advice she had is two things. One is ask for something very small. Like I would like five minutes of your time to talk to you about an idea that I have. And I promise you, I won't take up any more than that. And then it's very hard to say no to. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing she said is actually, even learning like how to craft um, the subject lines of emails. Like she spent a lot of time thinking about the wording of what's going to make someone motivated to open something. Um, for me, I try a lot of get a referral from somebody and then the line is like referred by so-and-so. Uh -huh. And then I hope that the personal connection is going to be hopeful because I think it's just even since Katya's time it's just the amount of email that people are juggling in their inbox it's just gotten so insane and overwhelming and the other thing I'd say is just I don't think it's rude to send like a couple of emails yeah. like to just be like I'm repinging this and bring it back to the top of your inbox I know how very busy you are mm-hmm mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh yeah. That's great advice. Having it be that small ass, because I, I also think that it shows the, the persistence and, and the dedication. And when you're first mm -hmm. in a business and it's like, you need to get that initial person to connect with you. I mean, um, how many emails, cold emails, you know, I, I would send at the beginning. It was, it was so many, but when one or two responded, that was a big accomplishment because you're right. I mean, getting people to respond to emails, so many things are happening in the world. And then it's like going to grow, as you can say, like, I just did this, you know, short piece for so-and-so. And even there's platforms where you can, um, like maybe the Huffington Post, or there's a couple of places where there isn't such a big screen and you can sort of, or even on Medium today, like, I notice more and more people just self-publishing. And if you have something like that you write that's smart, I don't think that, I mean, it's not as good as if you have, you know, been chosen by a publication that has a good name, but I don't think it's a dumb idea to just start doing the writing. And that is serving two purposes because you're like writing every day and getting experience and putting stuff out there and, you know, if you have something you come upon that's like a really cool idea and you've said it in an interesting way, like it might spark someone to just view that as, you know, evidence that you can that you can write something for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So with, you know, with all this this discussion about, you know, we're, we're sending things or we're trying to get into 
world of freelance, a young woman asked, how do you handle or how did you handle any sort of rejection or when you might hear back from an, from a uh, outlet that said, hey, we can't use this piece or uh, hey, it's not a, not a good time. How do you handle those initial uh, uh, responses where it's, it's people are maybe not interested in, in what you have to say right then and there? I mean, honestly, if you ask yourself, like, do I have a thick enough skin to deal with like a good amount of rejection? And the answer is no, then freelancing really is not for you because it is, I mean, I was in a writing cooperative called the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco. And so it was like 50 writers and we all shared office space and it ended with the pandemic, but we're now getting our office space back. But I mean, so I know so many freelancers in San Francisco and it's the same, everyone has the same story. It's full of rejection for every different reason. It's full of stories that you write and then they get killed. And which means like you wrote the whole thing. And for some reason, I mean, that's happened to me. Um, It's, it's so discouraging and you just have to find it in you to kind of separate that this is a personal thing. Like sometimes it's, you didn't write in the right style of this, the magazine, but like, sometimes I think back to like how hard I would beat myself up because I couldn't write in the style of like one of these women's magazines that actually has like a kind of inane style. That's really like not interesting at all and service oriented, which isn't really how I think about things. And so it's just not about you. A lot of times it's about them and what they need and how an editor has described the assignment to you, or sometimes they have something in their mind, but when you go out and do the reporting, you actually come back with something else, which is the truth, but is not, you know, as extreme as what they wanted or doesn't, isn't as contrarian as what they wanted or, you know, whatever. And it's like, that's not in your control. So all you can do is just try to maintain a sense of self and thinking I did my best. I went out and listened to what people had to say, you know, and re and writing does have a lot of writing and rewriting and rewriting. And even if the thing is they love the piece, it's still going to have a lot of criticism in the feedback initially and everyone writes a lot of drafts whoever you are and and what I would say about that is I did take a lot of writing classes so I don't have any formal education in journalism but I did take continuing ed classes like at Berkeley they had this great extension program and some of them were in person and some were online but for 10 years or so I was always like had a class going and one of those classes like created a writing group and that kept me going for a while. And, you know, I took a features class and a um, personal narrative class and, you know, all of that was, you always learn something from someone. And now there's like a lot of things you can just listen to online. There's a lot of content that's, I don't know. I was listening to this master class is, I don't know if you've heard of that, but you buy a subscription to this. And like, so I was listening to like Judy Bloom talk about young adult storytelling. And I mean, it was fascinating. Like you pick up little nuggets um, from everybody. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And I remember uh, one of my friends had written a couple articles for, um, for Teen Vogue, and she was saying, you know, I'm so excited to submit these. I think it aligns with, you know, your mission perfectly. She kept sending, kept sending, and um, she was an English uh, writing uh, major, and she said, you know, I'm either getting a response or I'm not, and if I do get a response, it's saying, hey, you know, we can't use this. Thanks for submitting, and then finally one time she asked the, the editor, what, what can I do better to improve to actually, you know, get in this publication? And um, the editor said, these pieces are, are, are great, but it all has to do with the time. And we already have three people who are writing the same thing who are right. on the team. Um, yes. So it's like, it's not you, it's that exactly. You what can't said. know what's happening like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why I also think that spending a couple of years trying to work inside the system, work at a publication, whether it's an online or even your school publication or your college publication, it gives you more insight about that fact that there's stuff going on on the inside that you can't know about. And so if you're in that reverse shoes, then I think when you get out as a freelancer, you kind of, it helps you let things roll off your back because you've really seen it from the inside that that's how things work and that you couldn't possibly know and, you know, they have a story meeting on Mondays and they're brainstorming all the stories of the current moment. And maybe that's what you thought of, but they've been already talking about it. And someone on staff is, is checking it out, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the other uh, question submitted from, from young women, it was amazing how many people um, were so excited to, to hear from you and, and get your feedback is uh, excited about your, your book. And it was so cool to see how many, people like Jane Fonda or Al Gore, how many people responded and, um, you know, supported this, this book. The question is about the process. So, you know, how would you compare or describe the process of writing this book from maybe writing something for a publication? Like, was it, did it feel different? Did you feel like the your journalism background prepared you well, or was it just a whole new process? Mm, it wasn't so new. I mean, writing these shorter profiles is I've done a lot of that now in my journalism work. I've, I've profiled a lot of people in kind of the tech space or entrepreneurs or women doing all kinds of things. And my skills at reporting and like being able to find like an interesting story or find my way into a story once I have the information and recognizing like what's the way to tell this person's story, like all of that came pretty naturally to me. I would say it was easier just because also you're doing so many profiles and so as you get into it, you're just getting better and better at it as you go and it's becoming kind of second nature to like think about what would make for an interesting story. And so then you're asking better questions. The one thing I will say, I will say this to anyone who wants to be a journalist is the more homework that you do before an interview, the better an outcome you're going to get. You're going to get more because if you're just asking the questions that are already out there, like you have to read everything that's, that this person has been interviewed about and try to get beyond or use that as a way into something. Oh, you once said, you know, that you think electricity is a human right. 
like, what do you mean by that? And like, tell me more about that is, is a better question than just trying to like start at the beginning and be like, tell me about your business and, you know, tell me, tell me, you know, how you got into this is it's going to lead to like a more superficial because they also have like a canned response that they're, they've been asked that question so many times. So if you think of yourself as like, you're trying to advance the conversation and that you're trying to provide something, some insights that don't already exist out there. Um, and so I guess that's, and I think there's so much now available, like people are all doing Ted talks and they're on podcasts and they're, you know, they have their own blogs and you read their Twitter feed and there's just so much fodder for like what you could ask them about. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like the best interviews I had are the most fun ones were when people would ask like questions I wouldn't been asked, like you said, like, well, why chess compared to another game that's out there? Those questions mm-hmm. that like, instead of being like, oh, like, how'd you get into chess? They, you know, put that in the question. They're like, do you think if you would have engaged with another game, would you still be, you know, politically involved or X, Y, and Z? And those are exciting. Cause like you hadn't, I hadn't thought of that before. And that answer is really authentic. Cause it's like, I'm thinking of that, you know, responses I'm, as I'm saying it, it's not something that I've totally, you know, you're actually before. having to like think. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this is great. My final question for you. And, and it's so funny. Um, normally I ask what, um, what the uh, best advice you ever received was, um, this young woman wants to know what's the worst advice you ever received. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. God, I don't have something right off the bat, but I guess like what I think is really bad advice is like doing things for like external reasons that like you think it's going to look good to to do something to affirm you in some way versus doing things in a more like pure way, like what really makes you passionate and excited Mm -hmm. and the more you follow your own path and are kind of your own unique person. I really do think that that's, I think we have way too much what you should, the shoulds and like all this pressure on young people to like do things in a certain way, in a certain order based on external um, measurements kind of. And I just think ultimately that's not going to lead to happiness. And I think about like how long a career is and like how relative to other people I know, like how much I love what I do and with all it being hard and all of that, but it certainly didn't come about in a traditional way. And people could have looked at me and been like, I can't believe you're to have a Stanford MBA and you're like trying to like pitch best of the Bay pieces for like $20 a piece or whatever it was like, it makes no sense, but it made sense to me because it was really what I wanted to do. And so it was like, that was my investment in myself. Oh, I love that. Oh, that that's great. And I completely agree. It's like when people ask about, you know, why you're, you're doing something, but you know, you have that, that path and you've thought it through and, and you're committed to that. That's, that's so important. 
thank you so much for. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on. And I look forward to hearing the podcast. Yeah, this is great. I I so appreciate, you know, your time and everything. And, and so many young women are so excited to hear from you. You've really impacted so many, so many lives. And I love your books. They're awesome. Um, Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. And good luck to you. Stay in touch. Oh, I will. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye, Ashley.